Okay, so today we are going to read and listen and reflect upon the Easter story. Go figure, you are here in church this morning to hear the Easter story. And I was thinking this week, what is Easter all about, right? Pastel colors, Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. I don't know how those two things were put together. You know, uh, little marshmallows that have that are made in like duck form, which again, how do all these things happen? Um, these are all fun things that uh, me as, and my family will get to celebrate and partake in, but the reality is, is that something much more significant is the reason why we are here today. Something happened 2,000 years ago, just outside of the city of Jerusalem, that its effects have reverberated throughout human history. The most significant and important moments has happened and we today get to read and study and reflect on that story. Now I recognize that a day like today, there's so many people that will be hearing the Easter story and it'll be familiar to them. But I also know there's so many of you, maybe you're here because grandma drug you here and you promised you would go. And, and today, the story we're going to look at is out of Luke's gospel, chapter 24. And um, what we're going to do, what he does is brilliant. He presents the Easter story, um, and really through the lens of a bunch of different people experiencing it for the first time. And so maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're filled with doubt and skepticism and questions. What you're going to find through the text is that you are in good company. We're gonna experience the story and my invitation for you is to find and connect with the, the people that are in this story and see if God may have a word for you today. Luke 24, starting in verse one. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. First day of the week, this is the eighth day. So this symbolizes something new is about to start. The Easter story invites you to see Easter as a fresh beginning. The beginning of the life that you were created for. The beginning that everything changed. Why? Verse 2 gives us the answer. They found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. On Friday, Jesus was crucified. On Sunday, the very tomb that he was laid in is empty. What you see here for these women is that they approached the tomb with confusion, ah, bewilderment. You can assume the question, what does this all mean? And if this story seems strange to you, it was also strange to them. Listen, when you're confronted with something that you can't fully understand or fathom, what do you do? What did they do? Verse four, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Amen. They pondered the mystery. 
Maybe you have been disillusioned by God. Maybe you feel like he has disappointed you. Or maybe you just feel like it's all so unbelievable. You are in good company. For them, it isn't just that Jesus is dead, but it seems that if someone has stolen his body, See, they can't even grieve properly. These women arrived at the tomb expecting to confront that their hopes and their dreams are dead and in the grave. Right? They approach the tomb with the intent to grieve their loss, hoping to bring closure to their hope. Right? And this goes beyond their own personal hopes and dreams. It was as if their entire belief system came crashing down on them. These women approached the tomb believing that their hope for the brokenness of this world to be reversed is dead and in the grave. Their hope was that Jesus was supposed to save this world and instead he was destroyed by it. How can this happen? And then suddenly something so unexpected happens. The messengers say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. This is the great reversal. It's like Jesus put out a cosmic Uno reverse card and threw it down. (laughs) The shock and the bewilderment should be a clue to all of us. They did not expect it. And why? Because dead people are supposed to stay dead. See, this is one of the aspects of Jesus' ministry that seemed to validate that he is who he says he is, that he is God himself when he raised people from the dead. See, you can't raise someone from the dead unless you have power over death itself. And who else could have power over death? Only God himself. See, Jesus seemed to have been crushed by death, but now these beings are saying that Jesus pulled the ultimate flex. Right, he defeated death by death itself. He conquered the grave by going into the grave and proclaiming life's victory over it. He isn't dead, he is living, he has risen. The Jewish people had a space in their theology for this idea called the resurrection. They believed it was a future date in which God would awaken all those who sleep in death. He would cause them to rise and those who were faithful to him would usher in the new age, the age of the kingdom of heaven here on earth and the age of broken humanity has ended. If the Messiah came back to life now, the one who was supposed to usher that age in. What does this mean? Has the kingdom of heaven arrived now? Somehow, in this story, the future hope of a day when God makes all things new has landed in the presence. The story continues. Verse six, remember how he told you why, you were still with, why he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day raised again. Then they remembered his words. This is the fulfillment of a much larger story. It is a promise that has been unfolding for generation after generation. The Jewish people had part of the story, but they needed to look at the bigger picture. Jesus had told them this would happen, but they forgot. They needed 
a reminder. Isn't that so like us? To be so overwhelmed and confused by what we are experiencing that it causes us to forget what he has said? Now, this is what I love about Jesus. There isn't shame here, right? My one-year-old, she goes, no, 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 whenever she's presented with something she doesn't want, right? And if you need any proof that sin is real, raise children. <laughs> but Jesus isn't like my one-year-old. He's not like an angry um, you know, father waving his finger. He's not disappointed or filled with you know, rage at his disciples, He sends these messengers to remind them what he has said. Verse nine, when they came back from the tomb, they told the women all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. See, the resurrection seems like crazy talk to them. (laughs) And here Jesus goes again being revolutionary. There's a first century Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. He wrote a book called The Antiquities of the Jews. And in it, he wrote that women could not be trusted as reliable witnesses to anything because they were reckless, foolhardy, rash, and presumptuous. I read that to my eight-year-old daughter, which by the way, sermons in my house are all approved by my eight-year-old daughter before they're given to you. And she literally responded like this, gross, and that is not true. (laughs) Amen, right? Now listen though, if you're trying to prove that something actually happened in the first century, it was ill-advised to bring a woman forward as a witness. This may have been the first century perspective on women shared amongst Jewish and Gentile people, but it was not the way of Jesus. In all four gospels, women are the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has always had a radical and revolutionary view of women. And this is one of the many reasons why I trust the Gospels. Because if they were trying to fool you, they would never have included these details because nobody would have believed them. But they were not trying to make up a story, were they? This also points to the mission of Jesus. See, Jesus um, is at work reconciling humans to God, but he's also at work reconciling us to one another. In the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the point of this is what? To create for him one new humanity. See, God isn't interested in scrapping the whole human project, shredding the universe down to its last atom and starting over again. His interest is renewal in our hearts, in our relationships with one another, and with creation itself. So Jesus goes beyond a radical new ethic, validating women's inherent worth and dignity. He does do that, but it's so much more. He is introducing an entirely new way of being human. And we see that on display here. See, the gospel writers are so convinced of this that they ignore everything that both their religious and non-religious world presents, and instead, they put on display the new humanity of Jesus. 
Listen, we're only 11 verses into this story, and we can see that the resurrection is already presented in such a way that it is turning everything upside down, or should I say right side up. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Imagine Peter. A few days ago, he told Jesus, I will never betray you. And then the hour of his betrayal came. One of his last memories would have been the eye contact of Jesus as he was being brutally executed as Peter denied him. Could you imagine that? Think about the regret. Think about the shame. It's not just his Lord and Savior, but his friend that he betrayed. And for three days he sits, sits in this pain. But then he hears the Lord might be alive. He runs to the tomb. In one of the other gospel accounts, John lets us know that he ran with him and beat him there, right? Just why not? But Peter goes inside. See, this is what happens in moments of desperation. You care a lot less what other people think of you. You're willing even to look a little foolish. And here, Peter and John run to an empty tomb. See, Luke is a brilliant author. He leaves us on the edge of our seats. And if you're interested in more of what Luke says, in the next eight weeks, we're gonna be studying the gospel of Luke. I invite you back. It's gonna be awesome. But the way he writes, he gives us a chance to read the story in hindsight, and yet at the same time, he allows us to experience it in real time. He sort of sets us up, right, to go on the emotional roller coaster that the people who are actually living this story experience. Let's lean in and read the next section. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus finally makes an entrance into the story. In some of the other gospel accounts, Jesus appears to Mary in the garden of his tomb, but Luke emphasizes another point of his story. He appears to two of his disciples as they are walking away. The road to Emmaus story is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. It really happened. These are real people, but it also serves as a story that kind of looks a lot like our life because our life is like the road to Emmaus. Let's talk about that for a moment. Cleopas and most likely his wife were leaving Jerusalem. They had come to the city for Passover just a few days earlier with excitement and anticipation for what Jesus might do. But now they are leaving the city with a sense of dread and fear Remember, there was a type of inquisition going on for anyone who was a disciple of Jesus and deep sadness. As they process this all together, walking on the road, right there with him was Jesus. But the text reads, they were kept from recognizing him. And this is what I mean by the road to Emmaus is just like our lives. Jesus travels the road with us. 
Even if we cannot recognize him, he is near always. And he especially shows up in our pain. Also, we see that Jesus' resurrected physicality is somehow different. It's transformed. And this is one of the first clues that we get because Jesus himself is there. He's present. He's a real human being. And yet he has the capability to make himself unknown to them. But Jesus walks alongside of them. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that he asks really great questions. Right? I think kids get this about Jesus because they ask really great questions like a billion times a week, right? It's something that I love about him and I hope to emulate. He asked them this, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? <laughs> what things, he asked. I love Jesus, right? Imagine that he's so concerned for them, but at the same time, he's kind of holding back a smile. <laughs> like he knew what he was about to do. He knew he was about to blow their minds, but at the same time, he wanted to be so present with them in their pain. So they go on and they tell Jesus all about himself. <laughs> about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, the English translation here sounds a little harsh, foolish, but the word can mean ignorant, unwise, unable to understand. Remember, Jesus was their rabbi. He was their teacher. They spent time with him. They learned with him for years. And as their teacher, he reminded them of the lessons that he taught them. Now, I would have loved to have been a part of this Bible study. Anybody with me? <laughs> right? It's probably the greatest one that has ever happened up to this point in human history. But this isn't a point just to breeze past. Jesus, in effect, is saying that the entire biblical story, and by that, also the entire story of humanity was building up to this very moment. Every narrative, every poem, every song, every law, every chart, every prophet, every genealogy, all of them point to Jesus. He is the climax of the story. And he is pointing out to his disciples that the story was always moving in this direction. This was the moment that everything was building up to and it has now arrived. And this is the story that they are invited to be a part of. Still, they don't recognize him, but they do listen to him. And maybe that's you today. You hear the story, your interest is piqued, but maybe you still don't see him. And that is okay. Keep walking down the road. Verse 28, as they approached the village, 
to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were, he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So we went and he stayed with them. I love Jesus. He was happy to just keep going, right? To keep walking through the night is dangerous. But Jesus is completely unbothered, right? This has been a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem, and Jesus is not tired. He isn't hungry. He's unfazed. Again, we see a glimpse into the transformed physicality of Jesus, Cleopas and the other disciples beg him to come to their home and stay the night. Even though they don't even know who Jesus is, they express hospitality to this seeming stranger. And when this, sto- and when this happens, the story takes a surprising turn. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and, it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened They recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus chose a moment of significance to reveal who he is. They'd likely seen him him do this, maybe even Thursday night when he took the Last Supper with his disciples, the night he was betrayed. All of the gospel writers put in clues that something so much bigger is happening in this story than meets the eyes. The disciples and Jesus share a meal together and their eyes are open. One of the things I love about Jesus is he loves to eat. We have that in common, right? Jesus made significant statements about who he is at mealtimes too. Earlier I mentioned that this all took place on the first day of the week, the eighth day. Luke often uses the number seven to signify completeness. And until this point, there have been seven recorded meals in the gospel of Luke, but this is the eighth meal. As the eighth day symbolized the start of something new, the eighth meal makes that same point. This is the start of something new. Now, we've already made the point that the entire biblical story points to Jesus, but do you remember what the very first story, the very first meal in the Bible is? The first meal of creation is Adam and Eve, and it's a meal of rebellion. The results are disastrous. Death, sorrow, pain, and an age of the enemy run rampant through God's good creation, and the text literally reads, their eyes were opened. They experienced evil and its effects and the downward spiral of humanity. But now, this is the first meal of new creation. And their eyes are open. And instead of pain and shame and death and brokenness, they see Jesus. And one of my favorite lines of all time, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? why he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And this would be my prayer for you, that you would experience this very exact moment. Burning, what does that mean? Um, It literally means to light on fire, to go from darkness to light. In other words, they came alive when they saw Jesus for who he truly is. Messiah, yes, Savior of this broken world. God himself, yes, he came to set us free, to reverse the curse. One true king of the universe. 
that death itself, the greatest weapon that the kings and empires of this world can yield, has to bow down before him. Who is this man? Not even death can defy him. He is the true king of the universe. The road to Emmaus is just like the road of life that we travel. The disciples see Jesus for who he really is. And what do they do? Well, verse 33 answers that question. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them. They assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They got up and they returned to Jerusalem at once. The seven mile walk with Jesus they just experienced, weary, broken, sad, and fearful. Now they turn around and they travel straight back down that same road, but entirely different. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Because he defeated death, he is our king. So what do they have to fear? Straight through the night, they run back and they tell the story to the disciples. This is the great reversal in their lives. And it can be the great reversal in your lives too. We're gonna take some time and a moment to respond. And as we do, I wanna give you space to do that. There's a word called repentance. And it literally means to turn around. This word has a bad rep, but if you get a picture of going down one path, realizing Jesus is who he says he is, and turning around and moving towards Jesus, that is what repentance is. It's reversal of the course of your life. Today, you too can reverse course. Turn away from your own path. Turn to the true king. Jesus invites you to join his kingdom. See, oftentimes, we emphasize that Jesus saves us from our sins, a sort of get out of hell and into heaven, um, get out of jail free card theology. And that is true and it's an important part of the story, but he is concerned with more than your life after death, right? He is actually very interested in life after life after death. He wants you to experience resurrection now and one day. New humanity, new heavens, and new earth. Jesus invites you to partake in his kingdom. The gospel story ends with Jesus ascending to heaven. We often think of that story in a, like he almost floated off the ground and went away to heaven. But Luke's hearers would have known something. That Caesar himself ascended to the throne of Rome by divine right. What Jesus is doing at the end is communicating that he is the true king who sits on the throne of heaven. Paul says this in Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. I heard it once said that the Christian life is not about one conversion, but about a series of thousands of conversions in your life coming and awakening to the moment that Jesus is Lord more and more day by day. Today we're gonna create space that if you have made that decision to follow the resurrected Jesus, you can respond, you can turn around, you can walk down that road. We're gonna have people on both sides over here 
that would love to pray with you. And maybe you don't want to walk forward and receive prayer. Just grab the person who's next to you, who brought you, grandma, and she'll pray with you. We're also going to take some time to reflect. There's going to be spoken word in just a moment where you're going to get to hear the story proclaimed. And then one of the greatest ways that we can respond, which we already did, was people went into the water and they were baptized. Maybe next service you want to get baptized. We would love for you to get baptized. But also one of the greatest ways to celebrate Easter is to sing and to celebrate. So we're gonna create space now to respond to the true king in any way that you can. Jesus, we invite you to this space. Speak to our hearts. We love you in your name, amen.